Jay, uh, Boner is uh, announcing his resignation. Good. Good. Let's see what he says. Conservative reforms uh, that will help our children and their children. We're now on track to cut government spending by $2.1 trillion over the next 10 years. We've made the first real entitlement reform in nearly two decades. And we've protected 99% of the American people from an increase in our taxes. And we've done all this with a Democrat in the White House. <laughs> Listen to him. So I'm proud of uh, what we've accomplished. But more than anything, my first job as speaker is to protect uh, the institution. A lot of you know that, uh, now know, uh, that uh, my plan was to step down at the end of last year. I decided uh, uh, in November of uh, 2010 that uh, when I was elected speaker that uh, serving two terms would uh, have been plenty. And uh, But in June of last year, when it became clear that the majority leader lost his election, uh, I frankly didn't believe it was right uh, for me to leave at the end of last year. Uh, so my goal was to leave at the end of this year. So I planned uh, actually on my birthday, November 17th, uh, to announce that I was leaving at the end of the year. Uh, but uh, it's become clear to me that uh, this prolonged leadership turmoil uh, would do uh, irreparable harm to the institution. <clears throat> so you know what he's talking about. It's so interesting how they dance around the issue. So he's, I think, resigning mm -hmm. as the elections approach because there's a certain element of the Republican Party that wants to do another government shutdown over the funding of Planned Parenthood. Right. But the real train wreck of that is, is that the Planned Parenthood funding is mm -hmm. already written into the continuing resolution of funding for the government. So if they pass something and shut down the government over it, mm -hmm. that it's, it's, it's just all for show because eventually – because they eventually have to pass the continuing, continuing resolution for funding. Right. It's going to happen. So even if they pass something to defund Planned Parenthood, Planned Parenthood will still get funded. Hmm. And so doing a shutdown over it literally accomplishes nothing. Uh, well, other than inconveniencing a bunch of people and costing essentially taxpayers a bunch of money mm -hmm. uh, yeah. for the damage in the, in the interim. I think this is why he's bailing right now, though. Uh, so this morning I informed my colleagues that uh, I would resign from the speakership and resign from Congress at the end of October. Now, as you've often uh, heard me say, uh, this isn't about me. It's about the people. It's about the institution. Uh, just yesterday, we witnessed uh, the awesome sight of uh, Pope Francis addressing uh, the greatest legislator in this country and for this uh, all these years. All right, he's just Porter. rambling now. <clears throat> but it's interesting, isn't it? Don't you think that yeah. he's, uh, he's stepping down? I think that's kind of interesting. I'm, I'm happy to see him go, to be honest. Yeah, I, I was too. never a big fan. I wasn't either. All right, so uh, why don't we get started, everybody? Oh, you know, out of all the sound clips I, I got together, the one I didn't get is the, the intro. The ding. I gotta have oh, he doesn't have I gotta ding. have my ding! You know, there'd be a lot of people that'd probably be happy yeah, they would. about that. Alan would probably be jumping up and down. Yeah, there's a lot of people that don't like the ding. You know what? Those people can suck a donkey because the ding serves a very important role. The ding is not very good. I don't like the ding. The ding. <laughs> That's a really good Alan impression. It's very lousy. It's, a, uh, uh, it's very obnoxious. Uh, it's, you know what it is? It's, it quells the ADD monster. That's what oh, it is. Yeah. That's what it's. Yeah. It's uh, calm your ADD monster and listen to this. Uh, all right. So uh, here we go, ladies and gentlemen. It's a Fox News alert with a little bit of frying bacon. I have two words for you. Predator drones. All right, here we go. It is the Unfilter Show, and uh, I will do the intro, and uh, then I'll say, and you can just say, and my name is No after I say my name, and it's to see this is 159, 
And uh, we're going to kick this shenanigans off right here, right now. Let's do a quick levels check just to make sure that's right. Does it let me know? You know why I have that? I have no idea. Because you're going to make an airline announcement. No. Because we reached 10,000 feet and I can use my laptop? Because I think it's pleasant. Because we're no, about to land. Uh, because so many times I start to play something, but I have, you know, because I don't want any audio interfaces open that don't need to be open. Right. So I have things muted down yeah. and I go to start the clip and the clip's got no audio. I'm like, what the? F-? So I just like, I was like, you know what I'm going to do is I'm just going to put a little noise at the beginning. If I don't hear the noise, I know I have it muted before right. I make an ass out of myself. You, you think that's making an ass out of yourself on Unplugged last week. I am a good three seconds into the intro before I realize that I can't hear myself in my headphones because I muted my own freaking microphone. <laughs> so the music's playing and I'm like, oh, that's not right. <laughs> Did you start over? You're like, no, I started over, but, yeah, yeah. but it was just, it was, it was one of those things that I was talking to everyone was you're doing the pre-show yeah. and for whatever reason, you muted your own prop- mic. Yeah. yeah. Why would I do that? Yeah. I know. That's I the one that. thing I don't want muted. I ever. Do I do that kind of thing too. That's again why the foot switch is nice. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Here we go. It is the unfilter show and it begins in a three. Oh, in a two. This is Unfiltered, episode 159 for September 25th, 2015. Good evening. This is a Fox News alert. Welcome to Washington. I'm Brett Baer. There are only four or five U.S. trained Syrian fighters on the ground fighting ISIS. Not four or five hundred, just four or five people. That's the word from the top general in charge of the U.S. effort. Welcome to Unfilter, episode 159 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's distracting you from all of that TV you really shouldn't be watching. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah. It's good to have you on the show today. I appreciate being here. This is, again, this is another one of those times when I feel like I'm on a show I shouldn't be on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, you did rent or loan the studio space to me, so I feel like... uh, No, actually, uh, you and I, interestingly enough, a lot of times off-air talk about unfilter-related topics quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, so I've always thought it'd actually be really good to have you on the show because you follow this stuff yourself and uh, you have a very, very sharpened opinion on a lot of these topics. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> now we're going to gouge everybody in the earballs with it. <laughs> so yeah, I am, uh, I am here in Grand Forks. We made the long drive so that way I could uh, get here and download the clip. So, you know, I didn't really think about it on the road a lot, but um, thankfully, you know, with producer Matt, he's able to continue to do the clip capturing while yeah. I'm traveling. But I didn't think about the fact that I got to download yeah. all those clips on the road. And that, you know, that's just not happening over a cellular connection. So he, he telegrams me and he goes, um, do you have a MiFi spot like on you? And I said, um, well, may, I don't think so. Not not on me. And he goes, oh, well, can we go somewhere where I have Internet and preferably good Internet? And I'm like, yeah, sure. You got to check your email or something. He goes, I got to download four gigs. I'm like, yeah. What? It's like seven gigs. What? Yeah. What? How do you have four gigs of stuff? Yeah, How did you get yeah. that out of sync? Yeah. Yeah, I know, right? I know. So, uh, what we're, we're talking about uh, regular good old uh, American politics here. We got to talk about something that just it happened while the show uh, was off last week, and um, I just I didn't know where to go with this story. And uh, I think a lot of people probably heard of it, especially if you're on uh, social media. It's the story about uh, this kid who uh, brought in a uh, clock to school and then ended up getting arrested. And the story, now that time has has gone on, has taken an interesting turn. So uh, let's go a little bit back in time and start with uh, Lester here, or Esther, whatever his name is, I can't remember now. And and let's uh, cover the story, and then we're going to break it down. If you see something, say something. That's been the mantra in this age of terror. But a troubling story out of Texas 
as many wondering whether the lines of vigilance and caution weren't somehow terribly twisted, leaving a Muslim high school student handcuffed and humiliated over an innocent science project. NBC's Janet Shamlian with a story that's touched off a national conversation. These are microsiders. A high school freshman who dreams of being an inventor, 14-year-old Ahmed Mohammed took his homemade digital clock to show his new engineering teacher. Well, let's stop right there. Now, I think this is a fine science project. It's mm-hmm. a neat idea, and it's I totally encourage kids taking things apart and figuring Absolutely. out how they work. Um, but he didn't build the clock. He didn't create the clock. He didn't program the clock. He right. didn't wire the clock. He took apart an alarm clock and put the pieces of that alarm clock in a suitcase. Right. Now, why aren't they saying that? Well, my first question is, why was he bringing a clock to show his engineering teacher? I mean, that will be the first question I ask is why – Obviously, it goes without saying that we want to encourage kids to do to explore yeah. all fashions of science, and certainly nobody should be judged uh, based on their religion or skin color or anything like that. But I would just what I would like to know is, is first of all, why is it that we are that he is taking an alarm clock and bringing it into his engineering teacher? Was it something that he just was he just fascinated with alarm clocks? Was Might, were they doing a project? Yeah, let's just say it's a project. I mean, okay. so let's say it's a project. I mean, okay. so then my next question is. Um, I mean, I suppose I suppose the suitcase comes in that it just has to, you have to have something to transport it. Uh, I mean, that's what I would be doing. I would be stepping through. That is a little weird. Okay, uh, yeah, yeah. suitcase so does make it a little more suspicious. Because so yeah. like, most kids have a backpack. And so yeah. I'm not going to just throw the alarm clock in the backpack, but maybe the components and are you sensitive. And, you so. know, uh, Lester there started up with a, if you see something, say something, right? He started. Yeah. And uh, what is the stereotypical thing that you should see something and say something about? A bag or a, or a suitcase, like right. a briefcase kind of a thing, a briefcase bomb. Right. That's like the stereotypical imagery you conjure up when you think of say something, see something, which is exactly what somebody did. Right. I took it to school to show my teachers the talent that I had. I want to show them. And in my perspective, it didn't look like a bomb. But several teachers at MacArthur High in Irving, Texas, thought that's exactly what it looked like. Police were called. The Muslim student was handcuffed in the hallway, his sister tweeting this photo, later fingerprinted and questioned. I just brought something to school that wasn't a threat to anyone. It didn't do anything wrong. I just showed my teacher something, and I ended up getting arrested. The incident lit up the internet. The hashtag, I stand with Ahmed, trending worldwide. Social media flooded with photos of clocks in a show of solidarity. Mark Zuckerberg posting, if you ever want to come by Facebook, I'd love to meet you. Even President Obama, who issued this invitation. Cool clock, Ahmed. Want to bring it to the White House? So that right there. Mm-hmm. This makes me think that when you got, when you got Obama, I mean, Obama is a busy man. Right. And there's a lot of things that go on in the U.S. that he doesn't take the time out of his day to address, yes. right? I mean, a yes. lot of things. Much less a kid getting questioned yeah. at high school. And let me, uh, let's me let just stop here and then step through this a little bit further. So the teacher sees um, what, what they think is suspicious. Right or wrong, they see it as suspicious. Yeah. They take the appropriate steps. They call law enforcement. The teacher is not an expert of if this is a bomb or if this right. is a science bomb. They don't right. know. Right. So they take the appropriate steps to call the uh, law enforcement officials. Law enforcement officials show up and they do their job. They, 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 they take what they think could be a suspect of, of something. They ask him some questions to find out. And then they return them and say, well, it turns out there was, there was nothing here. But uh, I, I guess I'm – you know, I, 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 on one hand, I want to see kids encouraged. On the other hand, I, I can follow you know, that. I can follow that See how it happened. Yeah. yeah. It's, not, it's not our best moment either way. But mm-hmm. because you're right. I, I mean I think we are just a bunch of pansies these days. Yeah, like We're absolutely. just so scared of everything. Uh, apparently even a clock. They went after this young man and, and treated him like a terrorist. And we know what people think terrorists are, that they associate that with people who are Muslim. 
Tonight, school officials are defending their actions. We were doing everything with an abundance of caution to protect all of our students. And police are denying that a non-Muslim student would have been treated any differently. Our reaction would have been the same either way. That's a very suspicious device. We live in an age where you can't take things like that to school. Authorities say the ninth grader won't face charges. Still suspended until Thursday, Ahmed says he's planning to transfer schools. Janet Shamlian, NBC News. And it's actually funny when asked if he was going to transfer schools, uh, the PR person that is working with him, there's a there is a group that is a uh, pro-Muslim rights group mm-hmm. and uh, they are working with him now and doing PR interviews and, and things like that. And they helped set up the trip to the White House with Obama. Right. And um, they, you know, they instruct him on like things to say. And when they asked him, what school are you going to? You can hear if you can hear the source clip. She goes, we don't need definites on that. Don't say anything. And the kid goes, uh, we don't have definites on that yet. So they're, they are. They are telling him what to say when he's in front of the camera. Yeah. He's, you know, he's being coached. And uh, you, you've, you've heard a little background about the dad, too, which is a little suspicious. Right. Well, so um, it's my understanding that the family, understandably, has received a lot of donations in support of their, uh, of their, of their child essentially um, being ostracized for, uh, for, <clears throat> his, for his science endeavors. Um, but it seems, as the story evolves, uh, that he didn't actually create a clock he just trans he just opened a clock up and then moved the parts around and so and moved the parts in, and transported right. the parts into right. a school and i guess the the question then becomes is it is it really ethical is it really moral to you know he says i was trying to exemplify my talents well your talents of taking apart something apart and the thing that the thing that triggered my kind of suspicion on this whole thing is the dad the mm-hmm. dad uh, is uh, is tied to a lot of a uh, lot of activism in this area. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's received and and helped raise a ton of money around this area. Mm-hmm. He's extremely extremely active in Muslim rights issues in the yeah. United States, and so it's really odd that uh, somebody who's kind of made this their life passion sort of gets wrapped up in this with their son. Yeah. And it just sort of happened that like his sister made it down to the police station just at the right yeah. time to take pictures of him there while he was right. still there and then tweeting about that and then that picked up. And in fact, the PR person said that if they hadn't tweeted those pictures from the police station, they probably wouldn't have linked up with him. Right. And so it's interesting how just the right people, just the right timing and a little social media and this thing is a national conversation. Right. Like we always say. Yeah. And I don't really I don't really have a lot more on it than that. It's I think it's a, it's I think it's embarrassing for the United States. I think it's embarrassing for how we treat people. I think it's mm-hmm. embarrassing on how scared we are. Like uh, looks familiar in the chat room right now says uh, Chris Lass, the UK cannot believe your panic. We live through years of terrorism with the Irish issues. Meanwhile, we don't even really have terrorism problems here. Right. I mean, we had we had planes flown into a building in uh, 2001. Once. Yeah. Yeah. And then and now we're all just just panicked constantly still. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think it's a little embarrassing. Uh, so why don't we move on to something that uh, is also a little embarrassing, a little uh, cyber update, a little prying eyes cyber update. Edward Snowden showed the public uh, to what extent governments are spying on them. But there's another form of surveillance that's barely on the radar. Employers using software to track employees in the workplace with apps like these. Meet Linda. She's the operations manager for Acme Heating. With the worker map powered by Google, she sees the entire team in the field. With a single click, she sees the contact information and creates a new work order. The worker map powered by Google. Mm -hmm. Linda sees that Simon is the nearest available employee. Linda checks the worker's map to see Simon's route and reviews the stops along the way. Confirming that Simon took his mandatory morning break... In one case earlier this year, it was alleged that the software was monitoring an employee even when they were off duty. And there are more tracking tools as well, like special key logging software, which allows employers to see your every move on your work computer, 
Also closely monitored are social media activities as well. So complaining about your job online isn't really the best idea. So, no, I, I have a uh, tracker in the truck right now, yep. and uh, it is designed for fleet operations. So that mm-hmm. way uh, you can do exactly what they just – they're talking about this thing like it's brand new, but mm-hmm. this is a company that's been around for years. It does. I have the Silver right. Cloud is what it's called. Silver Cloud, and it's one word if you want to Google it. And uh, it gives you like a map management, and you can, you know, have fleet groups and do trip tracking and playback Mm -hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And as as an employer yourself with some employees, do you, and you know, you have people that you literally have people you send out in the field, they're driving around to clients. You got to wonder which one is closest to the other clients you could sense. You could be really efficient about where they go. Mm -hmm. Plus, you want to know, you might want to keep tabs on them so that way you know that they're representing you correctly to your clients. Yep. When you hear stories like this, what crosses your mind? So I think what it comes down to is you – we have technical innovations and those technical innovations can be used um, to better the business or they can be used to um, to violate the privacy of the employees. And I think sure. where the difference comes in, where the distinction comes in is just in – the mind and the intention of the people that are in control of it. Mm. Um, and so like we record all of the phone calls, all outgoing and incoming phone calls that come into AltaSpeed are recorded. And um, all of the ingoing and outgoing emails aren't, they're not necessarily actively monitored, but we have access to them. I can pull up any email that's mm-hmm. ever been sent and those are stored. If you had reason. Um, so, yeah, if I had a reason to. And the I think the, the big thing that we just are sure of is inside of the employee handbook. We make sure to outline all of that right, stuff. And right. we pay for their laptops. We pay for their cell phones. Yeah. Um, and so I think as, as a business owner, I have a right to know how my company is being represented on the device that I provide with the hours? email. That, well, if they want to use their own device on off hours, that's fine. But if yeah. they're using the device that we provided and company email. email. And our company email, it doesn't really matter if they're on the clock or not. It's As far as I'm concerned, since I paid for the laptop, since I paid for the phone, yeah. it's my business. So I agree with all of that. I agree with everything you just said there. But what about what about this little bit here, this, this, little, uh, this little ditty? On your work computer, also closely monitored, are social media activities as well. So complaining about your job online isn't really the best idea. I've never looked. Um, I, I know that uh, I know that there's th- that uh, you know being a technology company we have a lot of people that are heavily involved in sure, social media. Sure. Um, we don't have a we the only policy we have is they're not allowed to exchange um, client information or work related information uh, via social media and that's that's a security concern. That not, makes has sense to me. To yeah. do with an image concern. Um, we don't have a we don't have a policy on it and frankly. It it comes down to it, it, it's it's weird because on one hand it's a First Amendment thing where somebody should be able to say whatever they want. On the other hand, you can't walk into your mm-hmm. you can't you wouldn't expect to walk into your your employer's office, sit down at his at his desk, and say, "I think you're a jerk. I don't like you, and right. you smell." Yeah. and expect to keep your well, job. And, and let's go back to our previous story, that clock story, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah you you have First Amendment rights in the United States, mm-hmm. but when you go to school. You know that you don't have all those same rights. You oh, can't. absolutely! I mean, I, I remember you know when I was in school, this was drilled into my head over and over again because I would make this argument like this: we have different rules here. Yeah, you have rules you have to follow if you want to be here. I'm like, oh, okay, all right, fine, whatever. Uh, just like you don't go into a theater and yell fire. Right. You know, it's it's the same kind of it's the same kind of um, voluntary limitation of your rights in order to be in a mutual agreement around something. Right. You know, whatever. Yeah. Like, be, be in a mutual public school, w- yeah. which is taxpayer funded, and everyone yeah. is participating. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Yeah. All right. So I think this next clip uh, gets into um, uh, 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 sort of like the device specific aspects of it. Well, revealing private information while using company phones is also not recommended as well, as it's also possible to record calls and messages as well. Investigative journalist Paul Lashmer says that there's an urgent need for a change of this privacy breaching practice. 
this is another aspect of the erosion of privacy. New technology allows employers to intrude on that. They can ask you, they can ask you what you're doing almost second by second, uh, discussing how much you eat, what you do in your private life, how much you drink, whether you take drugs that was that were in, was inconceivable in the past. That would be the line crossing for me. If you're if you're getting on my case about what I eat and drink when I'm yep. not at work, yeah, uh, oh, yeah, and I can I could see where it would maybe for insurance reasons or something like that they might want to, but yeah, I can't. You know, I've dealt with a lot. I've, we've had we have a lot of different kinds of insurance, and we've worked with a lot of different companies, and never once have I ever been asked. Um, well, that's not true. The health the, uh, the health insurance company will work with the individual employee mm-hmm. to uh, and and based on their their personal habits, it, it affects their poli- their policy mm-hmm. you know yeah. premium. But just like uh, your driving it affects your driving, right? Premium. But as a, as an employer, I could care less. And and the the other thing is too is <clears throat> I think the big difference you know, what sets us apart from a lot of companies. A lot of companies will do this behind the scenes. They don't necessarily tell them uh. we're doing this stuff. And we're very upfront. If if you're using our equipment and yeah. using our stuff, yeah. we have the right to, to know what you're using that for. Yeah. And we may or may not look into it. I think a lot of companies don't have to do that because they get to get away with the ignorance of their employees around technology. Yeah, that's a big part of it. And yeah. there's there was a, there was a I know there was a, um, a, a pharmaceutical company that they actually had the ability to remote wipe the the employee's phone and the mm-hmm. employee owned the phone. The employee paid the bill, but they mm. were because they were reimbursed. Mm. They were able to remove the contact information mm. because the contact information was linked to the contacts. This pharmaceutical company was, you know, the drug mm-hmm. rep was selling to, mm-hmm. you know, and whatnot. Mm. To me, that seems like that also kind of crosses the line. Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, so let's uh, let's shift into uh, the gold star in journalism for this week's episode. We're going to give the gold star to Fox News for going on the air and reporting such a solid story, a groundbreaking story that truly traces the funding of ISIS and gives us a clear picture of how ISIS is making their money. And they're reporting on a massive, massive break. Here we go. Fox learned now millions of dollars probably meant for ISIS. Wait, wait, what? Did you say? What did, what did she say? Pry. Uh, I, hold on. I got to play that back because this if, if this is national breaking news on one of the largest news networks, I'm sure it wouldn't be a probably. I, I probably misheard that. Let me play that. Well, Fox News learned now millions of dollars probably meant for ISIS oh, will probably. not reach okay. its final destination. I like that we're going with this. So uh, we don't really know, but... Uh, Probably. Uh, it's probably going Customs to ISIS. officials in South Africa stopping five men at Johannesburg's airport. Paul Tilsey's live in Johannesburg with more. Paul? Jenna, a senior police investigating officer in the elite investigative team that's in working on this case has told Fox News that it is very likely that the money, some $6 million in value, was going to ISIS. I mean, like, totally likely. It is totally likely. That or a lot of pot. They're not sure. So... <laughs> <laughs> so playing devil, devil's advocate, would it not be uh, would it not be safe to say that a reporter at Fox News would not be able to say for certain where? Yeah, it, to me, uh, that's not so much that. It's like um, so there is. Uh, I guess what really bothers me is that we don't do fact based reporting anymore. Like, there's no reason you can't sit on that story for two days and then report it when you actually know if that's what he's charged with or not. Yeah, right. So when you report on a story before, like, so what happens if he doesn't get charged with that? Like, what happens if that's not what the money was for? I guarantee you, I would bet you $100 they will never do a follow-up report being like, hey, that story we ran yesterday, same probably. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, they'll never run that report. And so they never do the cleanup when they when they go out and they, they do these big announcements and assumptions. When Why not sit on the story for a day or two, get the solid conviction, and then report they have definitely been convicted for trying to transfer money to ISIS? I, I guess I would argue because competing networks will pick it up and run it as is. 
Right, and they want to be the first. Let them run the garbage news then, right? And you know what? None of them did. Like, yeah. no, but nobody oh, is running. Really? Yeah, nobody ran that story. It's like, but my take would be then let CNN dig their own hole. Mm-hmm. Let them run the bogus news stories. I'll run the good news stories. How many people do you think go back and check that and say? Nobody. So, so then it becomes. The people that listen to this show. Right. <laughs> so then it becomes, at the, at the end of the day, those everyone is in business to make money. Yeah. And so if if they, it, the the cost of, of only reporting good news is probably higher yeah, than you know the what, cost though? of. There's a lot of ways to make money, and there's a lot of ways to make money in the entertainment industry. If you don't want to report news, then do something else. Yeah, that's true. I, I just it that's drives true. me crazy. Uh, so let's talk about this story that I wanted to cover last week, but we didn't have any good audio on it, and now we've got lots of good audio on it. This is mind-numbing. Stunning admission from our military about the war on the Islamic terror army, leaving a bipartisan group of senators, well, in disbelief. The CENTCOM chief has told lawmakers the Obama administration's half-billion-dollar program to train Syrians against the ISIS savages. Now, before we go any further, mm-hmm. that's a little misleading. So a half-bill, $500 million has been budgeted. Okay. Only $48 million has been spent. Okay. So they're not five, they're not actually, they haven't actually spent, the way, see, the way she says it, it sounds like they've spent $500 million on this. Here, I'm going to play it back for you. Because it sounds like they spent $500 million trying to train these troops. Some administrations half-billion-dollar program to train Syrians against the ISIS savages. You get, do, you have a, do you remember how many they've chained? Do you remember? Do you remember what the number is? Let's yeah. put, quote, four or five fighters on the battlefield. <laughs> Program's goal was to train some three to 5,000 in the first year. Here's how Democrat Jean Shaheen characterized U.S. efforts thus far and a question to CENTCOM Commander General Lloyd Austin. Given the total failure of our ability to influence the outcome of the Syrian civil war, are we assessing whether we should take a different um, response with respect to Assad? Total failure. And when the White House was pressed on the issue, Press Secretary Josh Earnest said this. We've acknowledged for some time the significant challenges that we've encountered uh, in uh, training uh, and equipping and sending to the battlefield. Uh, moderate elements of the of the Syrian opposition. All right, so I'm going to stop here because I know what they're building towards. I'm, I'm, I mean, this is pretty obvious, and I'm going to cover here in just a second. But uh, the thing, the thing that strikes me about this, and uh, I'm not going to bother relinking to it this week because I relinked to it in episode uh, 158, so mm-hmm. you can just go check last week's episode. Mm-hmm. But um, the CIA has been training tens of thousands of moderate quote unquote rebels for years now. Mm-hmm. So it's now we're sitting here doing this big analysis and uh, we're talking about how we've trained four or five. Well, the Pentagon, the Pentagon has trained four or five right. moderate rebels. The CIA has been doing it for years already. Mm-hmm. And we've talked about it a lot in the show. And I have all of the links to all of the all like the New York Times, the Washington uh, Post, all these different re- news outlets that are reporting on it. And there's another element of this ISIS thing that we don't really talk about when they're having this conversation. We talk about it on the show, but they don't talk about it. And that is, if you really want to stop ISIS, you just stop the people who are funding ISIS. And I want to play this clip for you guys. This is the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staffs, uh, General Martin Dempsey. And General Martin Dempsey, the guy that runs the Pentagon, mm-hmm. is sitting right here uh, uh, testifying on a Senate Armed Services Committee saying that Saudi Arabia is the ones that fund ISIS. No, any major Arab ally that embraces ISIL. That's uh, Lindsey Graham, mm-hmm. Senator Lindsey Graham, asking uh, Dempsey if he knows of any major Arab ally who is funding ISIL. And remember, if we just wanted to stop ISIL, we would just go after these guys. And this was recorded on September 20th, 2014. So almost a year ago, this clip was recorded. So almost a year ago, we knew who was funding ISIS. 
And I'll let General Dempsey say it instead of me. So this is, uh, again, this is Graham asking Dempsey, uh, do we know which ally in the Middle East is funding ISIS? And it seems like if you knew that, then you'd know how to stop ISIS. I know any major Arab ally that embraces ISIL. I know major Arab allies who fund them. Yeah, but did they embrace that? They fund them because the Free Syrian Army couldn't fight Assad. They were trying to beat Assad. I think they realized the folly of their ways. So you just heard Graham say right there. any major Arab ally that embraces ISIL. I know major Arab allies who fund them. That's Dempsey saying, I know, and it's Saudi Arabia. He's not saying Saudi Arabia, yeah. but it's Saudi Arabia. So we know who funds ISIS, plus us. Mm-hmm. We fund them too. We arm them and give them, we arm them and give them Toyota trucks and Saudi Arabia gives them money, right? Right. And luckily cash. So that's great for us because we're still getting that dollar out there. So they got cash. They got US greenbacks. They're spending. They've got American weapons. They have American ammo. We've twice now accidentally airdropped resupplies of food and ammo in ISIS territory, accidentally out of the back of planes, twice now, twice now, and they're driving around in Toyotas that we were sending to uh, rebel fighters in Libya. Somehow they ended up in Syria. Don't know exactly how that works. Anyways, must have just, you know, it's a short jaunt from Libya to Syria. So it's totally just probably took a wrong turn. And in this whole conversation, we now know who funds ISIS. We now know where they got their guns and their weapons through the through the Libya annex, all this stuff. And yet the conversation is still what we need to do is put boots on the ground. What we need to do is go out there and fight. And it drives me so crazy. And I want to just play a couple more clips and we're going to get into that a little bit, a little bit more. But there's another take on the uh, spending millions to train only a handful of rebels. Well, the Obama administration is going back to the drawing board now in their mission to train Syrian rebels to be able to call in airstrikes. The drastic change comes after an embarrassing admission that only four or five, a handful of fighters from the program are actually trained and on the battlefield today. Senator John McCain calling the training, which $500 million went into this, And we've got four or five. He says it's a colossal waste. They have spent $43 million training these Syrians. And they have now uh, four or five that are are in Syria uh, actively working. And the fact is... What are they actively working on, John? So uh, this narrative, we have four or five. We have four or five only. It doesn't account for the thousands the CIA has trained. Right. And uh, I just... Uh, I, I think this all fits in with this report of, of, of manipulated intelligence. So I want to jump to that story. We talked about it list, last week. It came out that for a while now, the Obama administration has been getting reports from like the CIA and the Pentagon uh, uh, Department of Intelligence. Right. And they're saying these are top targets. These are things we should go after. These are places we should bomb. And then they're getting that report up to the Obama administration mm-hmm. somewhere in the top levels of the Pentagon and, at the, bomb, and, and the Obama administration, somewhere in that gap. Right. They're changing the target package and they're going after like guys on Twitter instead of guys actually running ISIS. So where if that money because obviously we didn't we didn't actually spend four or five hundred million dollars on trading four or five people. Right. Doesn't cost that much. So where did that money go? Can you only imagine? I mean, think about like if you're setting up, you're setting camps and infrastructure over there, up there for training. Mm-hmm. Like you got bases, you got to go, you got to get people over there. I mean, I can only imagine yeah, the things. Five hundred million dollars. I mean, yeah. that's a lot of bases. That's a lot. I mean, that's a lot of trucks, because, ammo, bombs. Dude, no, dude, no, not at all. It is a deal. It's a steal. You are building an entire army to overthrow the government in Syria for five hundred million dollars. Oh, right, right, right. That's what, a steal, right, dude. I guess what I'm saying is, I, I, I feel like there's. Is there is there do we know of enough stuff to account for 500 million dollars? 
I'm not saying it's not a good. I'm not saying it's not a worthwhile investment. You know, it's investment. so sad. Is five hundred million dollars to the Pentagon is like in their couch cushions. Yeah. It is nothing to them. Yeah, nothing. So I, I mean, I'm when it serious. comes to defense spending, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So let's talk a little more about this manipulated uh, ISIS intelligence, and then we're going to go back to John McCain. Some new details now after a bombshell report: the Obama administration manipulated intelligence from Iraq and Syria, going back as far as 2012 at the least. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge live on that from Washington. Catherine. Well, thank you, John. The head of the House Intelligence Committee tells Fox News the disconnect between the intelligence reports on the ground and the rosy assessments being circulated in Washington goes back, in fact, at least three years. Here's my thought. I think as this goes, they're going to tie this to Obama trying to quell that al-Qaeda was a threat during his uh, run for re-election. Mm-hmm. And so they're going to say as a political move, and they're not going to say it in this clip, I think in, in next week, they're going to say as a political move, the Obama administration started manipulating these reports. And they're going to use it as a narrative for why the Democrats shouldn't be re-elected and all of these things. Mm-hmm. It's building to that, I think. I know for a fact that this was going on in 2012 because I was told by informants uh, that this was going on. This is uh, Devin Nunes, a uh, California congressman, Republican. Back then. Uh, and so, you know, now it, it ends up it was much bigger than just the just the bin Laden documents because it involves ISIS and ISIL and the growth of of kind of the AQ ISIS front across, you know, all of the CENTCOM area of responsibility. Congressman says this disconnect between the documents pulled from bin Laden's compound and the intelligence assessments in Washington really painted a picture of a decimated al-Qaeda, which was not the case. And when he tried to get a briefing at U.S. Central Command in May 2013, he was blocked and wrongly told the analysts were not there. We found out that not only were they there, they were prepared to brief. Hmm. Somebody's got to answer that question as to why they did not let us have access to those analysts. What's key here is that it's the same group of intelligence analysts who are now part of the ISIS complaint. And their grievances came to a head in May when the terror group rolled through Ramadi with 30 car bombs. The White House spokesman uh, within the last week, though, insisted that Mr. Obama has always sought the most honest and candid accounts. I can tell you that uh, what the president uh, has repeatedly sought from his national security team uh, is the clearest and best assessment of mm-hmm. what exactly is happening on the ground. <laughs> mm-hmm. In this email obtained by Fox News, the nation's top spy, James Clapper, disputes accounts that he was personally meddling with the ISIS intelligence by holding twice weekly video conference calls <laughs> with two senior intelligence officers at Central Command. But a source close to these analysts who have filed official complaints, they say that Clapper's contact is, in fact, far more frequent, John. Mm. And the, the reason why that's a big deal is uh, now he says it's not the case, Clapper. Mm-hmm. But uh, a lot of people say that totally breaks protocol. That that it sort of it's bypassing the chain of of analyst reports, which are supposed to go through a certain process. Sure. And so he says that. Uh, well, no, no, that's that's totally normal. In fact, here's a little clip from another report where he says, "No, look, this is totally normal." Weekly video conference calls with two senior intelligence officers at Central Command, calling the allegations quote fictional BS. It has been my standard practice in the five years in this job, as it has been for decades, to reach out to people directly. Flaws I have, politicizing intelligence isn't one of them. But Clapper is just, he reports to no one. He can lie in front of Congress and no one, no one says anything to him. He is, he is without account. He's, speaking of people who are without account, let's go back to John McCain. 
So, okay, so we're talking about manipulated ISIS intelligence, right? Mm-hmm. And John McCain, since the since ISIS, IS, uh, Dash, anything we've ever talked about, it, day one, John McCain was like, boots on the ground. Every time something comes up, boots mm-hmm. on the ground, boots on the ground. Let's send boots on the ground. I think this whole Syrian can't train the moderate rebels, only four or five people, waste of money. I think this entire thing is building a narrative to justify, well, look, we can't get these guys to do it, so it's got to be American boots on the ground. And here is John McCain saying just that. All right, we've been telling you all day about this uh, border violence in Hungary and Serbia, and it's extended throughout much of Europe, where a lot of these Syrian refugees are, are trying to find a safe haven. And a lot of these European countries, especially Germany, that were open to it a little more than 48 hours ago, are now saying, whoa, 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 whoa not this many. And they've effectively started building wire fences. And in the case of this border situation here in Hungary, uh, water cannons are being fired off tear gas. It is a mess. It is something that Senator John McCain predicted would happen and it is all coming to pass if you say if you say it every it's not predicting it when when you are taking advantage of a situation and senator i was talking to paul wolfowitz earlier today and uh he was saying expect millions more to come and deal with the same problem what do we do so these refugees they're coming um, from these countries that were complicit in bombing the shit out of right like we are causing this refugee problem true however when it comes to the the whole uh, boots on the ground thing it, it seems like when, every time you get somebody with a lot of military experience people that understand military tactics their answer seems to be pretty boots unified that yeah. you that in order to effectively combat something well, you have to have he, you know he's actually i see what you're saying there but he actually is ratchet he's changing it a bit he's he's mm-hmm. actually walking it back a little bit um because he is boots on the ground but i think because that message has gotten him nowhere he's changing it a little bit he's like well i want boots on the ground but but not like a lot of boots well we have to have a strategy and we have to implement it and uh, very frankly it's going to require some more american boots on the ground not like we did during the surge but some ford air controllers some intel some special forces some people like that and not only that not only that but they also uh, want to officially give the uh, the moderate rebels the ability to uh, call in airstrikes they're all just, that, just just dudes on the ground calling in airstrikes from to the from u.s yeah so so a syrian rebel can call up a u.s airstrike and a and a and a and a and a and a, and a, and a air force pilot will get in a fire jet and fly to that location that some rebel some untrained rebel tells right, him to right. and drop bombs how does that how does that jive with with the i mean i'm sure there's a document in process for you know of 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 how information gets some guy anyone can request anyone in the u.s military I, yeah. i'm sure can request an airstrike but i'm yeah. sure there's a process it goes yeah. through before they actually yeah. tell a pilot hey can get, you imagine what a d-bag you would be like if you're an official u.s like uh, uh, uh air force personnel or mm-hmm. or something like that and you wanted or or a cia analyst and you right. want to drop bombs on a target and they won't do what you say yeah. put some rebel calls up and yeah. they'll do what the rebel says and he just gets to bypass the command, well, chain of command if you're in that kind of position i'm sure you can figure out a way to get it to yeah, manipulate the information it's so just it's it to me it, it blows my face off a little bit in, in just how, uh, how crazy it is. Uh, let's talk about those refugees for a second. Russian President Vladimir Putin apparently trying to ease concerns over his military buildup in Syria. He met with the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. To- so uh, Bibi is meeting with Putin. That seems like a big deal to me. <laughs> for the first time in nearly two years, the Israeli leader has said that the Syrian government supplies weapons to the terror group Hezbollah. But President Putin said the Syrian regime has no time for that due to the civil war there. President Putin is accused of sending fighter jets, helicopters, and tanks to Syria to help the dictator Bashar al-Assad. But Russian officials say that they're trying to help the Assad regime in the fight against ISIS. A spokesman for the Pentagon says the Russian buildup has the defense secretary's 
full attention. What I love about this is Putin has the U.S. in a really nice spot here because they're like, Putin gets to say, look, I'm setting up this anti-ISIS coalition with all these really important nations. Mm-hmm. Don't you want to stop ISIS? Mm-hmm. We're just trying to stop ISIS. Right. You don't want to stop. And, and the U.S. is forcing the U.S. to admit what they really want is regime change. Yeah. It's forcing the U.S. to say, well, really, our end goal is getting Assad out. Yeah. Because now he's now Putin's coming with a solution and we are not accepting it. Yep. We essentially have to say that. The United States will sooner, well, I should say soon, open the borders to a significant increase in migrants. And that's a quote, not, an, not really a judgment on this, more of a quote. This despite warnings from some lawmakers, we could be letting terrorists into the country. Secretary of State John Kerry made the announcement yesterday, not about the terrorist ridiculousness, but about letting the migrants in. He says the United States will take in tens of thousands of additional refugees from around the globe over the next two years, many of them from Syria. We're talking in the tens of thousands when there are four million refugees now and there are more coming. You know, it's like, are we in on this, which is understandable, then take more? Or are we not in this, which is also understandable, then don't take any? But, I mean, you talk about a drop in the bucket. The White House today said the refugees go through a, quote, rigorous screening process. As we've reported here, hundreds of... Yeah, they got to walk through the TSA full body scanner. <laughs> ...thousands of people are on the run from war and terror in the Middle East and are flooding European countries. The United States has accepted only 1,500 Syrian refugees since that country's civil war started more than four years ago. Civil war. Now officials are planning to take in at least 10,000 Syrians in the next year alone. But activists are saying, look, there are four, more than four million refugees. James Goldgeyer is a former State Department official. He was a staff member on the National Security Council and is now the dean of the School of International Service at American University and live with us in Washington. Sir, good to see you again. Nice to see you, Shep. So we're getting into the tens of thousands here. What do you make of this? Well, so right now the United States has a globe, a cap on refugees worldwide of 70,000. And Secretary Kerry has announced that we'll go to 85,000 next year and and 100,000 the following year. Uh, But that's worldwide. That's not just for Syrian refugees. And there's really, uh, as you've just said, drop in the bucket, uh, given the, the incredible number of refugees, four million outside question. of that country. What did the West, all of our allies, the hell did we expect? You're going to go bomb these people's yeah. homes. You're going to go yeah. arm these rebels. You're going to go tell them to go kill people. You're going to have people flee the shit out of that. Mm-hmm. Like I, if, I, if that started happening in, in where I lived, mm-hmm. yeah, you're damn right I get the hell out of there. Right. What did you expect to happen? How did you conceptualize this entire thing out and not account for this? They had to know this was going to happen. Mm-hmm. They had to mm-hmm. know this was going to happen. And that's why I think when, when I hear back, one of the first things when this whole thing kicked off was that leaked phone call with Victoria Newland. So I think that's kind of what she was saying. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, they're going to get a whole bunch of refugees. Yep. F them. If this is what we're doing. Mm-hmm. And that, I think, is exactly what that was in reference to. It was part of it. It's like, yeah, this is going to be really hard on the EU, but fuck them. Yeah. Uh, and now here we are <laughs> with this horrible, horrible aspect of war. It's pretty disgusting. I don't think it's that they. I don't think that's that they couldn't predict what was going to happen. I think it's they oh, didn't yeah. care. Yeah. Oh yeah, they they just didn't care. Yeah, they just that's probably a better way to say it. Very nice, sir. Uh, before we move into some of the uh, zanier things this week, uh, I uh, uh, first of all I want to say thanks again, Noah, for joining me. This has been fun. I really yeah. like that. And did you know, Noah, that this show is funded by our audience exclusively? No sponsorships in this show. Nothing over at Patreon.com/slash Unfilter. And we're down uh, about uh, almost ten, not quite. 
which uh, would love to see that come back up because we're working doubly hard while I'm on the road to keep this show going. This is this is by far. I think you'd probably agree with me. Oh on yeah, this, the hardest show to do, especially on the road. Yeah, with all the clips that you have to take down from from somewhere remote. If, mm-hmm. if you weren't here, yeah. you'd be having to do this. It would t- tie up hours of your day to yeah. sit someplace. And it's also it's mentally exhausting to stay on top of all of this and formulate opinions and thoughts on all of these stories and track things down and do research while traveling. Mm-hmm. Thankfully, I've got several different MiFi access points and Wi-Fi that I've been able to do that. But I would really, really appreciate a show of support from our audience during this, uh, especially while the. Show shows going through this and all of these just i would really love to see the audience sort of back us up and show mm-hmm. that a little vote of confidence they want us to keep going and slog through this and since we've dropped a few we definitely have some room for uh, some people to pick up the slack over at patreon.com slash unfilter you have a couple of different levels you can get in at the basic level about two dollars a month is going to give you access to the supporter show that's like an extended version of the show sometimes double the length we every now and then put it out uh, to the general audience you guys get an idea of what it's like we'll probably mm-hmm. do that this week while i'm on the road too just to give you an idea of what the supporter show is like it's a little this one's a little bit of a mixture of both and then when you get up to five dollars a month then you get the source code to the show you get all of the clips you get all the art assets you get all the notes it's really like the the, the open source version of unfilter. i like that the source code to the show it really is you could reassemble the show yourself uh and uh, one of the really interesting things that i've heard about is two different s- stories that keep coming into our inboxes one is professors use them at school for political classes mm-hmm. and so they get access to the bittorrent sync and they get all of these really really like you know you could watch you could watch the news seven days a week and and come away with some of these stuff or you can watch just this show well, and get actually, the best stuff out of the news that you need to know about actually though you were telling me earlier you actually might not be able to get some of the stuff even if you watch the news seven days a week yes you know, because yeah. a lot of that stuff you said aired one, one time, time. Yep. and so you have it and so yeah. it's available to, uh, yeah. on filter but yeah. it's not necessarily available yeah. if you watch 24 7 yep. 365 and we are we are uh, the more we identify when that happens when some when when the news media airs something and then they don't air it again because it's wrong or because they weren't supposed to say something we we're trying to catch that more and more and we are uh, assembling an unfilters essentials clip folder mm-hmm. that has a lot of these things in there that are just like yeah, that'd be a heck. So, and 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 if you are, if you are, you know, the upper level of supporter, then you'd have access to mm-hmm. that. Yeah, and the other nice thing about it too is if you really are passionate about the show. You are also participating in a, distri- a distributed backup of the show because, uh, honestly, I've lost files in the past. I've mm-hmm. lost media. I've, I've had arrays fail on me. And so having the audience help back this up distributes this. And I think in a long way, in a big way, is going to make the, the, the long-term shelf life of the show, the relevancy, mm-hmm. the, the things that the show covered – um, outlast any traditional podcast because the source code to the show is distributed out amongst our supporters. Right. That's powerful. And the thing about that is this is a people's record, this show. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we get things wrong, sometimes we don't, and sometimes we nail them. And what this is is this is the people's version of history, and we can look back at this in a few years and go, holy shit, that was when this thing in Syria was going on, that was when we were leading up the 2016 election. Yeah. Oh, it all makes sense now. And that's what I think is big about Unfiltered. If you even now, you go back 100 episodes, and you see some of the things we were building towards. It, it, yeah. it is There are so many little we cover things in bits and pieces each week and when you zoom out on a three or four episode level Mm -hmm. it is such a well strung together narrative it's one of the things i love about this show Mm -hmm. and i I just i love to see the audience sort of even just sort of meet my enthusiasm and just sort of help out while we're going through all this over at patreon.com slash unfilter we're down to 411 and uh, i would love to see that get up about around the 420 level again 
And uh, maybe if we can do that once we get back, I'll uh, try to do a special 420 edition that seemed to be popular amongst the audience. So again, that's uh, patreon.com slash unfiltered. Please keep this show going. We need your support. So I want to move in to, uh, speaking of crazy shenanigans, just a couple of things about the debate that aired last week, um, the the uh, the second uh, Republican debate. Mm-hmm. And I'm just, we're not going to play a whole bunch. There is way, 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 way more clips in the supporter sync. But I'm just going to just do a couple of things because I'm betting a lot of you didn't bother watching it because you knew we'd be covering it right here on your unfiltered show. Well, CNN, dubbed by many as the biggest loser in last night's debate, says Fox News, perhaps due to the moderator's questionable strategy, forcing the candidates to pick fights. Mr. Trump has repeatedly said that the $100 million you've raised for your campaign makes you a puppet for your donors. Are you? Would you feel comfortable with Donald Trump's finger on the nuclear codes? Is Governor Walker right? Governor Christie, tell Dr. Carson, is that a fair description of you? Several people on the stage who disagree with you. Governor Bush, for example, says that that clerk is sworn to uphold the law. Is Governor Bush on the wrong side of the criminalization of Christianity? Were those questions fair? Peter Johnson Jr. spent the night... So there's are some of the questions at CNN. I just thought that was kind of interesting to cover some of those since it was so, it was quite a bit different than the Fox one. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I, I, I'm i not a big Lindsey Graham fan. I, yeah, I dog on both. Him, yeah, I dog on him all the time. Plus, I just don't, I just don't actually believe um, that uh, he's his own man. I mean, I think he's not a dumb person, but I think he is a puppet for John McCain. Yeah. I really feel like he's yeah. John McCain's replacement. And uh, so he's starting just like John McCain, running for president a few times, building up that reputation, things mm-hmm. like that. But he had my favorite line from the debate. I mean, I'm going to give him this Ronald one. Ronald Reagan did a couple of really big things that we should all remember. He sat down with Tip O'Neill, the most liberal guy in the entire house, they started drinking together. That's the first thing I'm going to do as president. We're going to drink more. <laughs> All right. That's pretty good, right? That's not bad. That's, that's pretty good. It's a good icebreaker. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was like, okay, Lindsay. I like that he's warming up a little bit. Good for him. So anyways, way, more, an idiot. way more stuff in the uh, debate folder. Of course, the, uh, the Democrat debate's coming up, too. But before we get into that, let's talk about Hill Dog's email. Back now to our breaking news on reports that the FBI has recovered personal, personal emails from the computer server that the Clinton campaign thought it had deleted. And Check that one off from the Red Book. Chase totally predicted this, that they would bring in the servers and they would do some data recovery on the drives and they start pulling emails off yeah, of it. But do you really think they actually got anything valuable? Or do you think that do you think that they do you th- let, me, let me rephrase the question. Do you think that they found anything that Hillary and her team didn't already predict they were going to find? This is why I think this entire thing will eventually blow away. I know it sounds yeah. crazy at this point. No, I don't. It's, it's stuck. It's stuck around a lot longer than I thought it would. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not as confident. I'm still projecting by January that this is going to be blown over. Mm-hmm. But we'll see. It sees how it's going to depend on how she does on that Benghazi panel. But uh, going back to, to this this particular case, yeah, I completely agree. I mean, the whole reason Hillary had a separate email server is because she's savvy. Right. That's why she did this to begin right. with. Right. So she's not dumb enough to put stuff in there. And even if she was dumb enough, she'd have she'd use code words like uh, like Kefelta fish and things like that. She wouldn't actually say, like, you know, transferring weapons to Libya. But she let, would say, can we get the Kefelta fish out of Libya into Israel? And then that would be what's in the email. Yeah, she wouldn't actually let, say, transfer just, the guns. Let's just say that she did write everything out. Are, are you telling me that Hillary, with all her money, is, I mean... Chelsea Clinton is worth like 15 million, right? Mm-hmm. You're telling me they can't find somebody like me who can DD the drive? Oh, yeah, of course. Like, I'm just, I'm not buying it. If if they yeah. recovered emails, the only thing then about it they is, intended them to recover The only thing them. is, a, it's a little, you know, you, you, if you look at it from the money standpoint, it's like, boy, do you think they could buy anything? But because they have to do it on the DL, mm-hmm. because they have to be secretive about it, and because they are so paranoid, the Clintons, mm-hmm. because they're so paranoid, right. they, can, they only work with a very select few of people. That's true. So um, now Hillary... 
the people that set some of the stuff up for her, her mm-hmm. IT guys, and mm-hmm. a lot of people that worked at the State Department are all now part of her campaign. Like, she took these people that were all in with her on this stuff and brought them with her. So she worked with a very small, select hand group of people. Mm-hmm. And that meant that they couldn't just, like, spend millions on the problem. In fact, when they first set up her mail server, it was in a bathroom. And then they moved it to a data center, and then they moved it to another data center that was actually secure. Um, but it started in a bathroom. Sort of like a closet bathroom. And so this is uh, – it, it, it's funny. Like you, you imagine when they deal with these problems, you imagine they're just throwing millions of dollars and having a whole team of people solve it. But because they're so paranoid, they keep it to such a small group of people that those group of people are limited in what they can do. I feel like a simple Google search would reveal how to, yeah, to know, irrecoverably right? destroy data though. I, 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 I go back to this. I would be willing to bet, and I could be wrong, but I would be willing to be bet that Hillary is smart enough to never put anything that damning in her email anyway, yeah, even if they yeah. can recover all of them. Yeah. What they're going to get is like emails between her and Chelsea and you know things like yeah. that. That's From that server. If you are just joining us, Bloomberg Media tonight quoting a source saying the FBI has recovered personal and work-related emails from the private computer server used by Hillary Clinton during her time as Secretary of State. Our own Ed Henry just questioned the Clinton campaign about the report. He joins us now live from the Bureau. Ed? Megan, good to see you. The stakes could not be any higher for Hillary Clinton. Obviously, she's been sliding in the polls already. This Bloomberg report, quoting one anonymous source familiar with the... Sliding the polls like Bernie's going to get it. ...FBI investigation is suggesting, uh, as you say, that the FBI has recovered not just personal email, but work-related email. Why is that significant? Go back to the beginning, when Hillary Clinton first revealed this at that news conference on March 10th at the United Nations. Her narrative was that she had deleted roughly 30,000 personal emails that were just about yoga, her daughter's wedding, uh, and and, and that the rest were work-related emails that she turned over. If the FBI has now recovered work-related emails, official emails uh, that were deleted, that would, this would be a game changer, number one, and change the narrative and and suggest that she was not telling the truth on on March 10th. Secondly, if they are recovering work-related emails, does that raise the specter of more classified information in those work-related emails, being on the personal server. You like how it's all just raw speculation? Yeah, like, there's yeah. nothing here. Well, nobody would know, right? Despite Hillary Clinton also at that March 10th news conference saying, no, there's no classified information. I just got off the phone with Nick Merrill, Hillary Clinton spokesman. He was literally in Des Moines taking off at the airport, uh, leaving after their, their campaign event tonight. He told me two things. Number one, he said, we've always cooperated with the FBI. And number two, he said, we simply don't know what the FBI has and does not have. They're in the dark about where this investigation is going. Hmm. That's very scary for Hillary Clinton. Final point, two other big things happened today. Under political pressure to try and please the left, Hillary Clinton today, for the first time, took a position on the Keystone Pipeline uh, and to to appease environmentalists said that she's now against the pipeline, number one. Number two, there was an event at the White House of Vice President Joe Biden, Biden, African-American leaders, and they were chanting, run, Joe, run. <laughs> All right, so one more little of the 2016 thing, and then we'll wrap this up. Because I got to check this one off the red book. Did you have something to add to that? No, no, I just, just Joe Biden. <laughs> I know, I know. I got something to add. I got it. So we just checked off something for Chase from the red book. Now we're going to check off this one for me from the red book, and that was the public interest would begin to fade for Donald Trump, that he'd be a flash in the pan. And I believe I am witnessing that to begin right now. Well, right now, there may be another shakeup underway in the race for the White House. More than 20 million people tuning into the Republican debates this week. The CNN moderator focused many of the questions on Donald Trump, the frontrunner. But new data shows the public's interest in Trump may be starting to wane. 
With more on this, let's bring in Judith Miller, Pulitzer Prize-winning investigative reporter, author, and Fox News contributor. Lynn Sweet is also with us, Washington bureau chief for the Chicago Sun-Times. I we don't need to hear all of that, but yeah, essentially the the, the polling is showing that Trump is uh, is is going down in the polls, and I don't think that's all that surprising. I think the more you hear from him, the more you're like, eh, right? I, I, well, here's the thing. I, I I was telling you earlier. I think I don't think he was ever. I don't think he was ever serious about running. Really? I, th- I think it was a joke. I think that he sat down and he was like, uh, he was like, yeah, it'd be fun to throw my hat in the ring and uh, get some publicity and kick up the storm a little bit. And then all of a sudden, to his shock and everyone else's, people liked what he was saying, even though it was atrocious. Yeah. And and so, like, because here's the thing. Well, some of it's just so refreshing to have a politician not BS to you all That's the time. That's great. But let's face it. Like, if you're trying to get elected as a, the leader of a first world country, you don't go on stage and say, Mexicans love me. I ha- they clean my hotels. Like, that's just not something you say. You don't look over at, at the woman standing next to you and go, she's homely. Yeah. And she, I, she couldn't represent our country. Are you kidding me? Like, the things that leave his mouth, I'm, I, 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 I'm convinced that no sane person trying to get people to vote for you would say those things I suppose. in the public eye. I just, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, it I has been fun to watch. In fact, wh- why don't we stay on this ridiculous train for a second here? Uh, producer Matt put together a uh, de- second debate nonsense clip for us. Like a little roundup of it all. Unfilter episode 159. Weekly nonsense recap. <laughs> After months of struggling to find their footing, it looks like the GOP has finally found an effective spokesman. Since Republican leaders unveiled the reanimated corpse of Ronald Reagan at a fundraising (laughs) event last week, the undead former president has quickly emerged as the new face of the Republican Party. XXL side Ron Publican the Reagan edition, part one. Goofies and ding-dongs. We opened with a clip so good that I kept the whole thing. The memory of former President Ronald Reagan is looming large over tonight's GOP debate taking place in the library that bears his name. But how do Reagan's principles compare to those laying claim to his legacy? Here's NBC's Andrea Mitchell. It's the other Republican race, the candidates racing to compare themselves to Ronald Reagan. I love He's that. somebody that I actually knew and liked, and he liked me. And I remember our wedding anniversary because it's Ronald Reagan's birthday. Jeb Bush even undressed to show his Reagan connection. Reagan and Bush. Reagan was the great debater. I am not going to exploit for political purposes my opponent's youth and inexperience. But he skewered his opponents with a self-deprecating quip, not an attack, says his son Michael. He believed, honestly believed in the 11th commandment, thou shalt not speak ill of another Republican. Donald Trump has even taken Reagan's slogan to make America great again. But Reagan's message was infused with sunny optimism, the flip side of today's angry rhetoric. He said once, I hope history will say that I tried to appeal to people's best instincts not their worst fears. And Reagan compromised with Democrats on taxes and immigration. So while today's candidates talk about building walls... They're bringing crime. They're rapists. I led the fight in the Senate to defeat amnesty when the Democrats tried to pass it. Reagan enacted immigration reform. You solve a problem in the Ronald Reagan way. With a wink and a nod, sometimes you get together and you and you get things solved. Reagan saw America as a shining city on the hill. Man, I love how we just... Wow. Let's put him up on a... Can we get another pedestal in here? A country welcoming <laughs> people in, not shutting them out. And if there had to be city walls, the walls had doors. And the doors were open to anyone with the will and the heart to get here. In Reagan's words, a shining city teeming with people of all kinds living in harmony and peace. 
Andrea Mitchell, NBC News, Washington. Man, that is so rich. I mean, like, why? 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 So why all the praise? Hey, NBC News fans, thanks for I'm Mike Huckabee. I'm delighted to be on this stage with some remarkable fellow Republicans. None of us are a self-professed socialist. None of us on this stage are under investigation for the FBI because we destroyed government records or because we leaked secrets. I know that there are some in the Wall Street to Washington axis of power who speak of all of us contemptuously. But I'm here to say that I think we are, in fact, the A-team. We have some remarkable people. And in fact, not only are we the A-team, we even have our own Mr. T, who doesn't mind saying about others, you're a fool. And I'm delighted to be here with all of these guys and would put any of them into the administration that I led. Thank you very much. Wow. That's Huckabee? Wow. Ronald Reagan did a couple of really big things that we should all remember. Here's Graham. He sat down with Tip O'Neill. They started drinking together. That's the first thing I'm going to do as president. We're going to drink more. <laughs> That's a good campaign promise. <laughs> I don't really know how it's going to work out, though. I'm honored to be here at the Reagan Library at a place that honors the legacy of a man who inspired not just my interest in public service, but also our love for country. <laughs> In my lifetime, the greatest president was a governor from California. Ronald Reagan knew how to go big and go bold. Are we going to take the Reagan approach, the hopeful, optimistic approach, the approach that says that you come to our country legally, you pursue your dreams with a vengeance, you create opportunities for all of us? You get the idea what they were leaning on there, right? Mm-hmm. I love that Matt put this together. Uh, we'll have the full version in the sink. It's, it's about 10 minutes long. It's, uh, if, you, if you're curious, he, he added it all together. And also, a big props to uh, his friend who did the, uh, <laughs> the very funny voiceover for that. Uh, Pierce Borgens, I believe, was his name. So thanks, Pierce. The, I think the reason that, that, uh, that conservatives, Republicans, tend to put Ronald Reagan so high up is that I think he was the last representation that we had of somebody who was an unapologetic conservative. And you get mm. a lot of people today that they have they, – they, they, they run under the name – Republican or they run under you know the conservative party but at the end of the day um, they're just as much for big government uh, as the other side and I, and I think yeah. that has become really frustrating to a lot of people that are at the far right yeah I yeah, that's a good point. It is it is sort of uh, the the selections of candidates here in the U.S. are like worst case scenario. Like it really is not like you could pick one bad guy. Like I wouldn't want. I don't think I'd want anybody on that stage. Yeah, to be honest, that's with you. why we should go to an alternative vote. And we wouldn't have these problems. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I, I'll follow you there. So uh, the, uh, the as the election stuff builds, I, I'm getting more and more um, disenfranchised with 2016's elections. Like it's yeah, it's kind of becoming a bummer. And I guess uh, I guess Walker also feels like it's a bit of a bummer. Looking live in Madison, Wisconsin, Governor Scott Walker. Before I say anything about our campaign, I just want to say on behalf of Tanette. Uh, our family, we want to extend our sympathies to the families, to the family of Wisconsin Supreme Court Justice Patrick Crooks. Uh, we will let the uh, Supreme Court make the official announcement like that, but we just want to pass on our prayers and our sympathy to him and his family, certainly his wife and his children, and all of his extended family. And uh, we'll have more to comment on that in the days to come. As a kid, I was drawn you know, it's to funny. Ronald Reagan because he was a Republican and a conservative. You know what's funny about this clip is uh, today as we start the show, uh, Speaker John Boehner mm-hmm. just announced his resignment. Right. And he had the same very similar preamble to his uh, resignment. Ronald Reagan was good for America because he was an optimist. Sadly, the debate taking place in the Republican Party today is not focused on that optimistic view of America. Instead, it has drifted into personal attacks. 
In the end, I believe that the voters want to be for something and not against someone. Instead of talking about how bad things are, we want to hear how we can make them better. Man, this is such crap. Why do you say that? Well, it, 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 to me, it's, um, it's babying the voters. It's like, you know, they're delicate and they don't want to hear about the bad news. Actually, bullshit. I'd like somebody to actually talk about the fact that our yeah, economy is crap. I'd like somebody to – God, you know what I'd love to hear in the debates? Our drone policy. I would love to hear our drone policy. Mm-hmm. You know what I would love to hear in the debates? The Iran deal. Mm-hmm. I would love to hear our situation in Syria, if we should continue to fight in Afghanistan. These are the things I would like to hear. And you know what? That's not good news. But that's the shit that actually matters. And uh, the thing is, you know why we're not debating that? Because it's not popular? Because, no, because all these assholes agree. Because they're all going to continue the same crap. And so let's not even bring it up to the public. Instead, let's have a nice, gentle conversation about sunshine and making America great again. And let's go to Petaluma, California and record a commercial of the sunrise. And that's all everybody needs. And then we have a new president. Job's done. And that is freaking insulting to the intelligence of the American people. Yeah, that's true. It drives me crazy. For everyone. We need to get back to the basics of our party. We are a party that believes that people create jobs, not the government. And the best way to grow the economy is to get the government out of the way and build it from the ground up. We are a party that believes that the way to measure success in government is by how many people are no longer dependent on the government, because we ultimately believe in the dignity of work. We are the party that believes that a strong military leads to peace through strength, and that that will protect our children and future generations. So Walker is jumping down, and he said, I don't want to hear the whole thing. He's just boring me to craze, to tears. Uh, he says that he thinks the other candidates that aren't positive should drop out, too. He's like, come on, I'm dropping out, and you all should drop out, too. That <laughs> just seems like that's that not... That seems negative. Yeah. <laughs> right? That's what I was going to say. Is that doesn't seem like a very good policy. Uh, anyway, speaking of drones, by the way, in the supporter sync, we have a video of drones that are building rope bridges all by themselves. No, and it, I can't show yeah. it on the stream, but oh, look, at, look at that. Look at those drones that are building a rope bridge all on their own right there. Isn't that cool? How does that? How does that even? I don't know. So you guys, if you're a, if you're an unfiltered supporter, go look in the overtime folder and then go in the science and positive and look at these drones building a rope bridge. It is so that's, neat. That's worth signing up right there just for that clip. If you got nothing else and just that clip, it would be worth. Don't you up. don't you think that's going to be a future thing? Like, yeah. don't you think? I mean, come on, that's a great way to do. Uh, that's a great way to do construction. By the way, the full second GOP debate is also in there, as well as a few other really shocking. Like, uh, there's a few stories that I, I just don't want to really end on because they're such bummers. But like the story about the CEO. Increasing the point. Let's just play a little bit of this one because this is kind of interesting. Developing drugs. There's no question. What is unusual in this situation is you think about it, the way it typically works is uh, somebody decides that they have an idea to develop a new drug. Uh, they may raise money for research and development. Uh, you know, the people invest in that process, and if the drug works. The the investors get paid. What he's essentially done here is taken a drug, an existing drug that is being used, and as, as uh, Christine just pointed out, it's, it's, it's being used by doctors who think it's a pretty good drug. They're not clamoring away saying we need a new drug. So it's being used, and he's now pushing the price up to basically uh, put, put, put all that cost increase on the consumer. He says he's going to put that money into research and development himself. Who knows? But clearly, uh, it's the consumer who's paying now. So this is Darferamim or something like that? It's yeah. D-A-R... A-P-R-I-M. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the pill previously, un- under the previous owner, cost uh, $13.50. Right. Under the new owner, 
the pill now costs $750. Right. He says he's raising that money to do future R&D. Okay, and that's good because, I mean, the reality is if you look at it, you know, drugs are protected for something like 20 years, but it takes like eight years just to get past all of, uh, you know, the U.S. uh, Mm -hmm. Food and Drug Administration, Mm -hmm. all that stuff Mm -hmm. to get that, all that certification. And so if you think about it, when when you start out and by the time you get done spending money, by the time you start, the needle starts going the other direction and you've only got 12 years to start with – it's really good when you can sell that as high as possible to try and recoup some of those costs. And if we start to limit um, the, the the financial incentive to be innovative, then those companies are going to go do other things. I suppose they are uh, so wealthy. I mean, they make so much money now. There seems to be pretty. Mm-hmm. There seems to be a lot of financial incentive still. Th- there is, but you have to. It, it, it comes down to how risk. How, how, well, risk, and also how rich do you want to be? Right. So if it gets to a point where somebody says, "Well, I could go spend my time doing this and make more money," then yeah, unless they have a you know unless they have a you know a, a core belief system that's keeping them there. That's yeah. what they're going to do. I, I just it doesn't seem practical to bring something to the market at that price point. And it seems like what what the response is going to be is then the insurance companies have to cover it, so the insurance premiums go up for everybody. That's right. Well, so the, so the the problem you're talking about is twofold because what what ends up happening is you're right. The insurance companies will just well, they're going to write a check and 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 everything gets perpetuated, but there really isn't any there really isn't any incentive in the medical industry for people to price shop. So when when yeah. my when my son was being born, we called about a couple different medical things and I would ask the girl, I'd say, Can you give me an idea what this costs? She had no, no idea. idea. And I said, no. Well who can I talk to? Well we don't really know. Yeah, well how do I find out? They don't well, know how much it's it. gonna cost you. Well how but if if and that right there is a fundamental problem because if I don't know, it, let's say the doctor doesn't know. Let's say I go in there and I say I want this treatment, and they say, "Well, that medication. Well, how much is it? Well, we don't really know. When you get the prescription, then you'll fill it, and when you get to the pharmacy, they'll let you know. Yeah. Actually, no. The insurance will pay it, and then when you get your bill and the insurance, your premium goes up. The insurance company, no, you may never know. Right. That's a problem for me yeah. because I can't say, well, what are the other alternatives? What are the other things I can take? What are the other you know alternative treatments? Hmm. Yeah, that's true. I uh, I I look at it and I think if I was this guy, I wouldn't be able to sleep with myself at night. Because this is a drug that is helpful to people's lives, and then you've just taken it from them, and you've made it at a, pay, at a price they won't be able to pay for. So playing devil, devil's advocate. How do you sleep with yourself when well, you're doing that to people? So playing devil's advocate, you sleep with yourself by saying the money that I'm going to raise uh, by, or, or I'm going to take in by selling this drug at an inflated cost, instead of helping you know hundreds of thousands of people, maybe I'd be able to help hundreds of millions of people, or maybe I would be able to cure the disease altogether if uh, you know if this research goes the way I think it's going to go. And obviously, yeah. that's all speculation because any R and D is going to be highly highly secretive and highly uh, highly restricted. So we'll never know mm-hmm. if and, and for all I know, he's taking it home, putting it in his bank account, and he's has a second boat payment now. Yeah, and nice. we don't know more than that. I'm sure. Uh, all right, so can we just end the show with probably the, one of the most ridiculous analysis I've ever seen from the news on on, on social media? This is a good one. This this is so this is rich. Okay, around here. All right, lots of differences between liberals and conservatives, as we all know. Apparently, even when it comes to cursing. <sighs> Let's just soak in the stupid for a second. A study of hundreds of thousands of Democratic and Republican Twitter accounts finding that liberals use more profanity than conservatives. Wow. Experts say it's because liberals tend to be more emotionally expressive, Hey-o. as Julie laughs. <laughs> I am so in touch with my feelings, that must be why I curse so much. Do you <laughs> curse a lot? It uh, is just, right? like, how do they know that? Like, how do you know the Republicans versus Democrats on Twitter? And, like, everybody swears. Different people have different personalities. Like, talk about just trying to take people and pit them against each other over, like, anything they can come up with to make liberals and conservatives different. Anything they can come up with, that's what they come up with. Like, they can't do a better job than that. They have a whole 
whole staff of people. I'm, the reason why I'm a little animated about this is because if like if Jupiter Broadcasting wanted to put something out, we would do a better job than that. Like I would come up with a better thing than that. And they're coming up with what they swear about on Twitter. Like that's what you're using to polarize people. I don't swear. I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I don't swear on Twitter either. Like I don't. I don't. I never swear. I don't swear on Twitter. I don't swear. I, shit, never swear in person. Like, that shit never happens, man. I won't do it. I won't do it. All right, so uh, that brings us to the end of the Grand Forks edition of the Unfilter Show. This is the first Unfilter I've ever recorded out of the studio. And recorded all on Linux? And produced on Linux? No. No, oh, no. No, okay. no, I don't think so. No. Well, I guess the live, well, the live stream here is still going out over. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Still over going to the Wirecast. It's about as much Linux as ever. Because <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have a choice. <laughs> well, I mean, it's how much Linux I use back in the studio, too. Yeah, I, got yeah, I guess that's true. Yeah. That's true. Uh, but you know what, Noah? I appreciate you jumping in. If you want to get a hold of Noah, where should they tweet at you? Maybe a few curse words. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at Colonel <laughs> Linux, you can find my foul mouth over there on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, you can follow me. I'm Chris Les. Of course, also, you know, I'm on this road trip. Go check out the Rover log. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. we got the live tracker there and a link to the YouTube playlist. We've done nine editions now, including Noah was in the last one. So it was a good one. I think that was actually pretty fun, Getting actually making the Grand Forks and dominating the road in Montana. All right, that'll bring us to the end of this week's Unfilter. Uh, just check the feeds. Go subscribe, because when I'm on the road, the recording schedule is a little bit in flux. So you can find that over jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Don't forget unfilter.reddit.com to give us your feedback and ideas of what you want covered in this show. And uh, big shout out to everybody who's been sticking in over at patreon.com slash unfilter. We really appreciate your support. And a big shout to producer Matt, who was a soldier, even though he had computer issues this week. Really appreciate that, too. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfilter. See you right back here next week. All right. That went well. Thank you, Noah. Thank you. Uh, It was kind of a by the seat of our pants edition, but I think it actually turned out just fine. So now, chat room, we can go over to jbtitles.com. And we can do, yeah, banksuggest.com. We can do a little tiling on this here thing. I have a few more clips I can play in the post show, too, if we want. But uh, why don't we start working on our title, and we'll see how that goes over at jbtitles.com. And if uh, we don't, uh, if we don't... uh, if we don't uh, want to play, a, if we don't want to do a show a after show clip, we can. Uh, you guys can just go find it in the supporter sync. So uh, no swits off my box. If if you're a supporter, yeah, oh, that's true. Now if you're not a supporter, then how could you cool how could you then... not be a supporter? How could you not be a supporter? Hey, look at that! I just randomly played a Ronald Jenke song, and it's our theme song. Oh, hey, that's cool. I'll play that in the background. When we go to JB Titles to give us a little epic music to go uh, vote over jbtitles.com. So what'd you think, Noah? I'll do the show with you anytime. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of a clip-driven show? It's a lot different I like than the other yeah, shows. Yeah, no, right? I, I actually I like it better because to some degree because um, I I feel like I'm I'm much better at having a conversation and responding to something than I am trying to organically create something on the fly mm. if I haven't had time to think about it. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, uh, responding yeah. to clips that's easy enough. I, I I'm yeah. an expert and, well, on I, my own opinion. Yeah, well, that's I true. am, and it, it helps that you stay current on these topics for the most point too. So well, the, <laughs> at least uh, at least the uh, at least the uh, land stuff <laughs> overseas, not so much. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, okay, kick out the government. A Republican A team, A team for Prez. That's <laughs> funny. People really picked up on that. Uh, remember, remember in Reagan. <laughs> that's not bad. Uh, why and who and why Trump romanticize the past. That's not bad. Um, some people like that. Boots, boots, boots. Boots on the ground. Your employer is tracking you. 
So there's some jbtitles.com. There's some good ones in there. There's a whole bunch of others. Just go shake that S out, you guys. Go shake it out. Mr. No, would you like an after show clip? Sure. I would love an after show clip. All right. So how about a... Uh... <laughs> oh, no. Oh, man. This is going to oh, be no. good. This is Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz oh, okay. goes on the uh, Col- uh, Stephen Colbert's, uh, you know, the new uh, late show with Stephen Colbert. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, I guess the audience didn't give uh, Ted Cruz a warm reception when he paid... Stephen, a visit. Ted Cruz, and I must say he's a very brave man, Jason Johnson, for appearing on Colbert's show. Um, and Colbert held his feet to the fire when it came to comparing himself to President Reagan. Let's listen. The mm-hmm. 10th Amendment says if it doesn't mention it, mm-hmm. it's a question for the states. Yep. That's in the Bill of Rights. Mm-hmm. Everything that is not mentioned is left to the states. So if you want to change the marriage laws. I'm, I'm asking what you I, want. I believe in democracy. I believe in democracy, and I don't think we should no, 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 trust... No, no, guys, guys, however you feel, he's my guest, so please don't boo him. That's good. Yeah, yeah. That's that was, good. That was interesting, right? That's good. But I, I agree with what he's saying. I want to catch that again, because Stephen was right on that. He was right on that. We should trust... No, 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 trust... guys, guys, however you feel, he's my guest, so please don't boo him. That's actually pretty nice of Stephen to do. That, that. is, Yeah. I think then they cut him off after that. The clip doesn't... Oh, I guess he does. He... Yeah. All right. He was talking about... Yeah. They, and they go to the analysis, which we don't really care about. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's that's it. Okay. Now, uh, jbtitles.com. Let's see. Do we get any... So I don't know about kick out the government. It seems to... Not quite on, on the nose with what we were talking about. Uh, A-team for Prez. Romanticize the past. Which one do you... Go take a look, Noah. See which one you okay. like. All right. All right. Go see one. You do that. Let's play one more after show clip. Sarah Jane Moore aimed a gun at President Gerald Ford in San Francisco and fired a single bullet. The bullet missed Ford by inches. That attempt came just 17 days after another woman, a Charles Manson follower, tried to assassinate Ford. Sarah Jane Moore received a life sentence for the attempted assassination, but she was released on parole in 2007. And Sarah Jane Moore is now speaking out and joins us this morning. What drove you to want to try to assassinate President Ford? Well, everybody asks that, and the thing is that everybody was talking about it. They say, where did you get the idea? I don't know about the rest of the country, but in San Francisco, uh, people were saying this all the time. Number one, we elect our presidents, we don't appoint them. And Gerald Ford was appointed, and he was appointed by a crook, if you will pardon the expression. Uh, (laughs) I like this lady already. It wasn't a unique feeling. Uh, It was partly that there were other people who had talked about it who I thought were much more important uh, to what we were thinking of of as the revolution, and we really, truly thought there was going to be one. Mm. And I thought somebody like me, I was a nobody, uh, it would be better coming from somebody like me and not destroying these people who I felt were were leaders in... Hmm, that's an odd reason. Ladies and gentlemen, our winner is, because I'm not super happy, kick out the government's the chat rooms, the chat room suggestion. And the thing is, I think that's probably not quite poignant enough and maybe just a little too, like, right. It's a, it's a good title. It's just, yeah. It just doesn't really fit. Especially if you're not familiar with the show. Uh, so I think we'll go with United States of Syria. I think that's not bad. I think that's, that's not good. bad. All right. Thank you, chat room. Thank you, guys. That was great. Thank you for showing up on a random Friday edition of the Unfiltered Show. I'm not quite sure when the next show will be live either, so just check my Twitter feed because I'm on the road. But uh, you can follow us uh, over at uh, Jupiter Signal for uh, new shows, patreon.com slash unfiltered for support, and Chris Elias for my personal things. Noah, thank you, sir. Let's go stretch our legs. All right, let's do it. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Love your faces.